it's a massive challenge and a massive opportunity. I really believe it's going to take the capital, the ingenuity, the inventiveness of uh, more than just our industry. It's going to take just about everybody in society uh, for us to get there, but I'm confident we, we can do it. This is Flux Capacitor, a podcast about the future of electricity. I'm Francis Bradley of the Canadian Electricity Association. This is episode 042, number 42 of the Flux Capacitor. We feature discussions about the future of the business of electricity on this podcast and what the future transformations will mean for electricity companies, regulators, society, and customers. Once again, this podcast was not recorded face-to-face, but using Zoom. This is the sixth podcast in a series shining a light on climate change, net zero greenhouse gas commitments, and what the implications may be of those net zero commitments. Over this podcast series, I'm trying to unpack these GHG emissions reductions targets and net zero commitments to understand what they mean for the governments that make these commitments, the potential impacts on the companies that produce and deliver electricity, how it will change energy use, and what it may mean for the customer. For this sixth podcast in the series, I'm joined by Wayne O'Connor, the President and Chief Executive Officer of NMAX. Headquartered in Calgary, Alberta, with operations across Alberta and Maine, NMAX Corporation is a leading provider of electricity services, products, and solutions. We talk GHG reduction targets in the context of NMAX's ESG commitments, as well as potential contributions to GHG reductions from both T&D and electricity generation. As usual, we close the conversation with a book recommendation. Here is my conversation with Wayne, recorded late July 2021. Wayne, welcome to the podcast. I'm glad you were able to make it. Thank you, Francis. It's great to be here, and I'm happy to uh, have this conversation with you. Listen, before we get into the details, as you know, this is a, a series that we're doing on Net Zero 2050 and what it actually means. I thought maybe for the, the listener, a little bit of background uh, on NMAX, just so they get a sense of, of uh, what who the company is and the perspective that you're coming from. Municipally owned by the city of Calgary, but you, you have assets in New England. Um, <laughs> why don't you give us a quick rundown on NMAX? Sure. Yeah, as you've highlighted, our owner is the city of Calgary, so that's our only uh, shareholder, and um, they have set up a structure that looks very much like a corp, a typical corporate structure. So it has an independent board, uh, and it's populated by uh, experts from across uh, industries. So it would look like any investor-owned utility, uh, except that it doesn't have you know thousands upon thousands of shareholders. It only has one, right. and the the business itself is just over eight billion dollars. It has three main business lines. Uh, first of all, there's the electric utility here, the T&D company that serves the citizens of Calgary. Uh, then we have a competitive business uh, that's focused on Alberta, owns or, or um, co-owns about 1,700 megawatts of generation. The majority of that is natural gas fired, about 15% of it is wind. Mm-hmm. And then the third business line is Versant Power, which is the T&D utility in northern and eastern Maine. And we added that uh, last year. So those are the three 
three businesses that uh, we have. About 70% of what we do is regulated utilities, and then about 30% is a competitive business. Gotcha. So the regulated utility in Alberta, is, sorry, the, the T&D business in Alberta is regulated. The, the right. uh, asset uh, in Maine, is that a regulated utility? Yeah, it's as well? a regulated utility by the Maine Public Utilities Commission, yeah. So it looks very similar to our Calgary utility. Just Okay, so, but you've got two, two different utilities in two different time zones. Yes, exactly. Yeah. 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 <laughs> okay. Well, listen, w- w- to talk about uh, ESG, I-, I thought a great starting point would be the, the recently released ESG framework that NMAX uh, came out with, uh, and it specified net zero by 2050 targets. Why don't we begin with um, maybe what are the elements of that ESG framework? And then we can maybe drill down to some of the specifics on on net zero. Sure. Yeah, happy to talk about it. So NMAX has had, uh, this is the first ESG report that we've uh, published, but it's had a long history of publishing and being focused on sustainability. So 14 years of sustainability reports. So this one really just uh, modernizes the sustainability report and puts it more into the typical lens you see now in North America of Mm -hmm. ESG. And uh, you would know this, Francis, but the electric uh, uh, utility business in North America has really been leading ESG. If you take a look across the entire um, industry uh, frame, that we've done a really good job and and, and NMAX has done an excellent job. So what we've really done is we've focused in four areas. So Mm -hmm. first of all, uh, greenhouse gases, what are we going to do uh, as it relates to that? Uh, we've also f- focused on reliability and innovation. What are we going to do there? Um, diversity, inclusion, and belonging is another key area. And then uh, supporting our communities with a particular focus on energy poverty. So those are the four areas in our ESG report that uh, we've highlighted. Uh, there's obviously a lot more that goes on kind of below the surface, yeah. and a lot of energy and work, but those are the big uh, um, areas that we're focused on. Right. Okay. Well, then let's let's uh, talk a little bit about the specifics. Um, let's begin maybe with GHG uh, commitments that NMAX has made. So, what uh, what are they, and uh, more importantly, how are you going to go about achieving yeah. them? Yeah, that's the question everyone's uh, 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 trying to answer, aren't they? So we've, we, as you've highlighted, we've uh, declared that we will be net zero by 2050. And uh, we've got a few initiatives going on to, um, to get to that. And we've, we've been very thoughtful about how we're going to approach it. So we engaged all parts of our business, Francis, to make sure that they took ownership of, of these commitments and that they would then budget for it and make sure that they're moving uh, there. So first of all, talk about our fleet, our vehicles. Mm-hmm. So we've made a commitment to have 100% of our electric fleet, um, or, or 100% of our fleet electrified by 2030 right. and an interim target of 35% of our fleet electrified by 2025. Mm-hmm. So um, that's a clear commitment. Uh, we're moving towards that. Uh, we're leaving ourselves a little bit of flexibility on 2030, Francis, because we want to make sure that all of the heavy uh, equipment that we require can be electrified by then. Ah, right. uh, we want to make sure that, uh, you know, if there's not solutions available, that we continue to be able to, to have the right vehicles available uh, f- for us. But, but I'm confident that uh, over the next eight years, we'll see electrification, even of the heavy duty vehicles, and that'll allow us to do that. So that's, that's an area we've made 
commitment mm -hmm. in. Uh, on our natural gas uh, generation fleet, uh, we've already reduced our emissions by 65% from tw our 2015 levels. And we've done that um, through a number of uh, things. So we used to have coal uh, in our fleet. We no longer have that. It's ah, now gotcha. just all natural gas. So that was a big step change for us. Right. And then our natural gas uh, turbines are some of the most efficient in Canada and have produced the lowest emissions. So that will be probably our biggest challenge is how do we get to net zero on those assets by 2050? So we're working diligently to um, reduce our emissions there, but Francis, but to be honest, they're already super efficient. So right. even to get a one or 2% reduction in GHGs, uh, you know, is, is difficult and expensive. But we've done a few things uh, recently. We put in a lithium iron uh, battery at one of our uh, facilities, okay. uh, 10 megawatts, which allows it to provide spinning reserves and it reduces the runtime there substantially. Um, so we've it's the equivalent of taking 10,000 cars off the road. Right. So basically the generator is now available, but we utilize the battery for the ramping uh, up time. Mm -hmm. So we'll continue to pursue those types of initiatives. Uh, and then we've also made a commitment to uh, buy offsets for all of our buildings uh, starting okay. in 2021. Yeah. Right. So that will also be another area that we're um, uh, focused on. And then as it relates to, you know, how do we get to net zero? I honestly believe we're going to have to pull all of our levers, Francis, to get there. Mm. So things like carbon capture right. and sequestration is hydrogen an option. Uh, I, I certainly hope in the in the next decade we see some breakthroughs there that will allow us to use hydrogen. Right. But we, you know, thankfully we have time to figure out that part of uh, the equation. But those are the main areas uh, that we're focused on, uh, and as I've mentioned, have uh, made you know pretty firm commitments on on getting there. Yeah, and you've also made some some moves already on on some of these files, right? I mean, you mentioned you mentioned the move uh, out of coal, but um, you also uh, are involved in some of the carbon capture and utilization work, aren't you? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, uh, our Shepherd Energy Center, we've uh, right. done a, a demonstration there, a pilot with four small companies looking for ways to uh, use the carbon as it comes out of the back end of the generator. Um, really interesting things. And, uh, you know, we're really happy to be uh, part of that and we'll continue to um, support that and invest uh, in it. And uh, eventually some of that, we're going to see commercial uh, opportunities there for sure. So right. uh, we'll continue to work. Uh, that was a partnership with uh, government as well to support that. So uh, those are the kind of initiatives we'll continue to look at. Yeah, and uh, Kate Chisholm from Capital Power was on the podcast uh, uh, some time ago and she talked about, uh, some of the some of the work that they're doing in that space there they they see this as a as a potential uh, revenue stream in the future do, do you see it as well as as a as a, a potential future business line not so much, I don't think, for us. I think, uh, Francis, there's others who have, um, like Capital Power, who mm -hmm. probably have an advantage in, in that area. You know, our, our advantage, we believe, is is more in the regulated utility space okay. and then making sure our, our, our existing generators run efficiently and effectively. But, um, you know, we will support activities in that, uh, yep. like hosting, but I don't think that'll be a, a revenue stream for us. I think there's others that uh, are better positioned, have competitive advantage that we just, we just don't have. Right. Hey, you had mentioned diversity, inclusion, and belonging. Maybe uh, talk a little bit about how that became uh, a focus and a priority during a yeah. pandemic. 
<laughs> so I think it had been a focus for the organization, you know, prior to the pandemic. I came in uh, just over 14 months ago, um, but it was it was already deeply embedded in the organization before before I got here. Yeah. And I think fundamentally, uh, it, it was at the board level. It's certainly at our share uh, our shareholder level. The city is really focused on on what can it do better uh, around diversity and inclusion. So yeah. when I uh, arrived, it was already kind of well uh, established here. But what mm-hmm. what the ESG report did was it it just brought a sharper focus to it. So it said, and really what we're doing is a, a few different things. So first of all, we're spending a lot of time talking to employees, getting their feedback around well, what does diversity and inclusion and belonging look like and feel like like to you. Right. And we, we understand we need to look more like the communities we serve, but what does it really mean uh, for, for our, our workforce? So we're, we've been undertaking that uh, during the pandemic, which means lots of Zoom calls like you and I are having and other, right. other things. Yeah. We've also brought in a host of speakers representing uh, diverse groups uh, here in, in Alberta to hear from them what it's, and in Maine, actually, we actually had uh, uh, some Maine speakers come in as well oh. and talk to us about what is it like to be a representative of a minority group and what what can we do better as well we're changing our training requirements here so all of our senior leaders are going to have to have diversity training by the end of next year okay and we're incorporating more bias training into our our senior levels as well to make sure that we're aware of the biases we have and how they impact things like recruitment and right. can we change our processes to uh, eliminate as, as much as possible those biases? So it's um, it's something our employees are really passionate about, Francis. I am yeah. as well. But it's it's wonderful to be able to um, see and hear from them what it means to them, and then incorporate those uh, those ideas into our our plans for diversity and inclusion and belonging. Right. Hey, I'd like to drill down on a couple of the other uh, other uh, elements in your ESG, but you did mention um, it's been 14 months since you've been with the company. One of the things that I ask people that, that come on the podcast is, is about their journey. Uh, always interested to hear people's journey. I, I always make the joke, you know, uh, Wayne, when you were a young lad in the playground, did you, did you dream of, of, of running you, uh, an electric utility company? What was your journey to, uh, to, to President CEO of NMAX? Yeah, no, I I had no dreams when I was on the playground, uh, Francis, <laughs> of being in the electric uh, business. I quite frankly didn't really like most Canadians. You probably don't think about the electric yeah. uh, infrastructure, mm-hmm. except for maybe the odd time when it you know, when your power is not available. Yeah, so I um I went to business school and then I started with TransCanada Pipelines back in the late '80s. I worked mm-hmm. for their uh, the company was called Western Gas Marketing, which really was mm-hmm. uh, focused on buying and selling natural gas across uh, North America. I, I was there for 13 years, had uh, lots of different ex- experiences, but mostly in the competitive business space and in, in mm-hmm. trading and marketing. Uh, then I went to Nova Scotia and worked for Amera for uh, 17 years. And through that, I got exposure more to the utility business. Uh, I was with Nova Scotia Power, uh, two different uh, stints, uh, one, mm-hmm. the last one as CEO. And uh, so it was really through through that experience that I, I, I got a real kind of hands-on uh, utility experience, and which then ultimately led me back to Alberta and to, to NMAX. Uh, so it, it's been a... 
great experience. I've had the opportunity to work and live in Calgary, work and live in Toronto with TransCanada, and work <laughs> and live in Halifax. And uh, through that, been exposed to lots of different jurisdictions, both in Canada and the U.S., different mm-hmm. regulatory constructs. Yeah. Uh, so it's been a it's been just a fantastic experience for me, and I'm I'm happy and uh, excited to be back here in Alberta. And you know, Alberta has some significant challenges uh, ahead of it. Uh, yeah. But I'm I'm confident that uh, it has all of the right things, Francis, to to get through this. It's got a you know really entrepreneurial spirit. Uh, mm-hmm. It's got a history of, uh, of finding solutions to problems. Right. It's got lots of great risk takers. It has a really young uh, workforce that's well educated. And it's just a good place to, to live. It's a really nice place. So you, all those ingredients are here. Um, and you can really see, uh, as I come back, uh, almost two decades later, it feels like a different place. You know, there right. is more diversity in uh, businesses. There is a lot going on here outside of just oil and gas and traditional energy business. There's a mm-hmm. lot of uh, entrepreneurial startups, a lot more tech. Um, so yeah, I'm really excited to be back and uh, part of uh, NMAX and part of what I think over the next decade as we look to electrify um, our economy is a really you know a huge opportunity for the company. What was it like moving in the middle of a pandemic? It wasn't ideal to be. No, honest. Just, it just occurred to me that 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 change you made 14 months ago was was at the at the height of the first wave of COVID nineteen. Yeah, it was. Um, you know, we've had like everyone lots of fits and starts. So, you know, yeah. the economy was closed and offices started open, then it closed. And really, for me, Francis, it was it, you know it's difficult to establish yourself in uh, in a community, in a new job, in a new city uh, when you're most of the time uh, stuck to your. In my case, I'm in an apartment uh, for now, in, right. in an apartment, and not able to uh, interact with people. Uh, so, so it was not ideal, that's <laughs> for sure. And I was separated from my family. They stayed in uh, Halifax. I have three children. Two of them were still in high school, so we decided to keep them there just to finish uh, up high yeah. school. So, so that you know, on a personal level, it was uh, it was less than less yeah. than ideal. Um, but I do have family here, so I was able to uh, at least have those connections. Um, but, yeah. So, getting getting back to the um, ESG commitments of NMAX, I was intrigued that uh, the the fourth uh, area was in the area of energy poverty. Yeah. What's what does that commitment look like? And I don't often hear this when talking to people about ESG, so I'm I'm intrigued. Yeah, it's it's really focused on, um, and, and as you know, uh, CEA and others have uh, identified. Uh, you know, what is energy poverty? What is it? To, what does it look like? Yeah. And you know, it's somewhere around five or six percent of your of your um, disposable income goes to pay for energy costs. And here in Alberta, somewhere around 16, 17% of our customers fall into that category that are struggling to pay uh, week to week, month to month, their energy costs. And of course, as we have uh, so many customers here, uh, we hear from them regularly uh, that are struggling to you know, pay for, and electricity is a basic uh, fundamental uh, requirement yeah. for life. So the, the company has been focused for quite, quite some time on how do we help out those who are, are struggling to, to pay their bills. So what we've done is we've uh, teamed up with a number of uh, uh, 
of charities here in the province and in and in Maine, and directed funds to them. They have energy uh, poverty as part of what they provide. So um, uh, some of our customers end up uh, uh, going to them directly. As well, we spent a lot of time and money on educating uh, consumers about how they can save uh, on their energy costs. Uh, we provide energy kits, little simple things like you know uh, light bulbs that are more energy efficient. Uh, right. We hand those out, give those out, and uh, what we're committed to doing now is giving at least thirty percent of all of our community give is going to focus on energy poverty, oh, and okay. by twenty thirty we'll increase that to forty percent of all of our community giving is going to be focused on that, and and again we think as as we move to a, a future of lower carbon and, and more use of uh, electricity that we need, we need to do more to help those who are struggling to pay their bills. So yeah. Yeah, it's a really, uh, and again, this is well supported by our employees. They mm -hmm. feel a great commitment to it and they, they, they donate uh, a lot of their time to, to this area as well. Yeah, I know, as I say, it's, it's, it's not something uh, uh, I hear frequently when talking about ESG. Back to the GHG commitment. So what, What's the role going to be of the uh, electricity companies? I, I'm particularly interested in, in the in the role on the T and D side of your business, on the generation side of your business. Um, you know, for most people, it's 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 pretty clear. Uh, you know, what needs to be done to to move towards net zero? It's a question of you know uh, uh, increasing renewables, potentially yeah. carbon capture, and, and so on. But on the T and D side, uh, I mean, you talked a little bit uh, about fleets. You talked about your buildings. How important are are those? piece is going to be to, uh, to to delivering on that net zero 2050? Or is it really all about generation in the end? Yeah, I, th I think um, generation is a piece of it. And I, I say this often when I speak to um, uh, people inside and outside the industry, you yeah. know, broadly, if you think about uh, carbon emissions, there's three big buckets. There's energy and uh, electricity. That's about a third of carbon emissions in Canada. Mm -hmm. Another third comes from transportation, uh, aviation, and the other third comes, you know, from homes, uh, homes, businesses, uh, agriculture. So obviously, a lot of attention's on the generation and what are we going to do to reduce emissions there. But we need to get really at the rest of that. So transportation, businesses, mm -hmm. homes, industry. What are we going to to do in those those areas. And that, Francis, I think is where the T and D and particularly the D uh, utilities have a lot to do. So let's just talk about transportation for a moment. Okay. Uh, I, you and I had this conversation. I know you're contemplating buying an electric vehicle. I have an electric vehicle. And as I put my uh, deposit have, down, put my deposit oh, just, down a couple of weeks ago. <laughs> good, for, good for you. I, I look forward to hearing your podcast about your experience driving an electric vehicle. But I, I, I have no doubt that as, uh, as we start to electrify uh, fleets, uh, cars, trucks, that people need uh, infrastructure in their home. That's the most likely place you're going to charge when you bring your vehicle home. Right. You're going to plug it in and charge yeah. it there. Certainly, we'll need infrastructure in offices, in malls, and other places. Mm -hmm. So the the utility has a key role there on two fronts. First of all, we have to make sure that the grid is resilient enough to integrate all of these new chargers. And you know, like the the F one fifty Lightning, that's a huge battery pack that's yeah. going to show up at people's homes. And what we don't want is everyone trying to charge their vehicle at the same time yeah. uh, you know here in alberta if it's january 28th 
and it's minus 37. Or if it was like this past June when it was plus 37, yeah. uh, we don't want people trying to charge the, their vehicles at the same time. So the utility needs to make sure that the, the infrastructure uh, is resilient and can, uh, can handle all of that. And mm-hmm. a lot of investments need to occur, um, I, 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 I'm sure, right across Canada to handle that. And a, a lot of the distribution network uh, was not built uh, with the with the idea yeah. that in the future there'd be all these electric cars plugging right. in and drawing on it substantially. So yeah. so we we have to do that. But I also believe um, that there's an opportunity for us to offer solutions to customers. Mm-hmm. So for instance, you may or may not want to pay for the charger in your home. Uh, I would love it if the utility could offer that as a service to right. its existing customers. Yeah. As well. Um, for instance, you may want to have solar panels on your roof and maybe a battery in your garage uh, mm-hmm. if you don't have the electric car or, or maybe an, uh, as an adjunct to that. And I would uh, I would love to be able to offer that as a utility service, uh, be able to put it on your bill, amortize it over a very long period, get our cost of capital, and thereby reduce your carbon emissions substantially if we can right. do that. Yeah. So, so I think there's a lot we could do on fleet and si- similar in the rest of uh, um businesses offer the same kinds of services as as businesses look to either put rooftop solar or maybe they want to buy a a piece of a community solar Mm -hmm. uh, arrangement or PPAs. All of that are areas where I think the T&D utilities are going to uh, be able to help accelerate the the move to a lower carbon future and accelerate uh, electrification of our economy. And so that that looks like a very different kind of company uh, than than the people that are in the business today. Um, what are the sorts of things that are going to have to change? Presumably, we, we don't have the, the right regulatory framework today for yeah. that. That would yeah. be, I mean, in addition to in addition to some of the the, the technological uh, uh, challenges, uh, we've got some regulatory hurdles we'd have to to get through to 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 reach that kind of a future, wouldn't we? Yeah, I think you know to. To go from where we are today to a world where we're using electricity much more often for our vehicles, for our homes, for our businesses, we need to see modernization of a lot of things. So the utility itself needs to modernize. It needs to be able to offer these types of services. Um, We're not easy to deal with. We don't... uh, generally do a great job of applying, uh, say, uh, technology, apps, things like that, you know, so you just one or two clicks and you could order up a battery in your house. So we have lots to do as it relates to customers. Uh, We have to form partnerships, um, you know, with small businesses to be able to do all of this in our communities. So we have a lot to do ourselves. We need to invest, as I I spoke, in the grid to make sure it's more resilient. Uh, Ultimately, I think the grid needs to be 100% reliable. So we need to start incorporating more batteries batteries into our uh, systems. There's a lot of work we need to do. But at the same time, we also need the the legislation and regulation to change. As you know, it was designed largely for uh, a world that's 30, 40 years old, where Mm -hmm. uh, it was all about big generators, uh, usually quite a ways away from load pockets. And then it was about how do we get the energy effectively into home and businesses and do that safely and reliably and uh, affordably. Uh, But the future now is is completely different. It's going to have, as we just discussed, a whole bunch of new things now at the distribution level that are going to be generating electricity, consuming electricity, able to flow it back and forth. So we need to modernize uh, the regulations and the legislation to to just reflect that reality. And to be honest, uh, Francis, the amount of 
capital that's going to be required to transition us into that world is huge. So yeah. we need to open up the doors and allow everybody to participate in that. And um, so, so that's what we're focused on. How can we uh, modernize the, the, the rules to allow utilities to offer this service uh, to customers? We think there's a clear benefit to our customers in doing that. And we acknowledge that there'll be others who uh, are going to compete for that, that it's not going to be under a traditional utility monopoly um, system. And that's okay. Uh, mm -hmm. Quite frankly, uh, we need we need lots of uh, lots of people working on this so that we can get there quickly. Yeah, I really appreciate that that you said regulation and legislation. That's that's something that uh, regulators who have previously been on the podcast talked about uh, when when talking about innovation. Um, that there's only so far they can yeah. go within the regulatory framework that they've been provided by legislation. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And I know you and uh, others work uh, quite diligently to to help uh, politicians understand uh, what's coming and uh, so that uh, legislatively they can start to start to make the changes required to get there. And similarly, uh, here at MX, we spend a lot of time uh, speaking to uh, politicians about what we see in the future mm -hmm. and what we see um, customers will need and uh, what, what changes we believe are required to get there. Yeah. So we talked a little bit about uh, T&D and, and distribution. Uh, let's come back to generation because I, I know that's also a significant area of focus for uh, NMAX. Uh, and what does innovation in generation going to look like in the future? And I know, you know, you, you mentioned some of the work that you've been doing at the Shepherd Energy Center. Um, you know, there's some work, I believe, that one of your other facilities at Crossfields is, 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 has also been a focus as well. But what's that future of generation going to, going to look like? Yeah. So if we split the generation into two groups, so there's thermal generation. Right. Um, and, and then I'll talk more about non-emitting. Uh, so I think the thermal generation really for us is going to be a continued focus on carbon capture, mm -hmm. on uh, spurring innovation around, around that. And is there opportunities for hydrogen or something similar to be used as a fuel that can, can reduce um, our emissions? In, right. in the meantime, we're going to continue to make investments so that our generators uh, uh, emit less and less every year. But it, it, you know, it's going to be difficult, um, Francis, quite frankly. Uh, we've right. got really good technology, and uh, it's, it's hard for that, to, that needle to move without a breakthrough. Um, mm -hmm. Now, carbon capture we don't really need any technological breakthroughs. It's already occurring. It mm -hmm. just needs a lot of investment to, to build out the infrastructure to allow for that. So right, right. We'll, we'll, we'll obviously monitor that closely. But, uh, you know, that area, the thermal generation, it, it's, it's going to take a while. And I think um, it's harder to see who the winners are going to be in there and when that's going to arrive. I think on the non-emitting side, it's clear uh, solar uh, wind and batteries are mm -hmm. already um, competitive uh, alternatives here in Alberta and, right. and in most of North America. So we're going to continue to focus on finding ways to invest in that uh, more, to build more of that, both at larger scale, you know, at utility scale, uh, but also smaller scale, as we were just talking about, you know, on businesses and homes, there's an opportunity to put solar and battery combinations into, into customers' homes. So I think the future of generation for us is mm -hmm. going to make sure that we, you know, do the best we can with our thermal fleet and reduce emissions by integrating things like batteries into it. Um, but the big advancements are going to be in, in investing in wind, solar and uh, uh, um, batteries. Mm -hmm. Right. 
So we 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 talked uh, we talked about electrification of transportation. Um, what about in those those other areas? Um, you know, homes and 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 businesses. I guess you know, uh, heating, ventilation, air conditioning, and so on. How are we going to get to 2050 in in that space? And is there a role there for for electricity companies? Yeah, I I think there is an opportunity for utilities to do a number of things. So first of all, it's simple education, right? What what can customers do to currently uh, right. use less energy to be more energy efficient? And that's that's the simple stuff. That's the cheapest and mm-hmm. that's the easiest way to reduce emissions. And then there are other things like heat pumps, which you know um, are very, very efficient, uh, allow both heating and cooling. There are some challenges at uh, really cold uh, levels that they don't they don't work as efficiently. Yeah. Uh, so obviously, we'll be focused on uh, helping customers um, make good decisions around those areas. But mm-hmm. specifically, um, yeah, I, th- I think it's back to can we offer customers some solutions around batteries, uh, rooftop solar, those are, and then uh, ultimately, uh, Francis is making sure that the grid has uh, intelligence to be able to handle all right. of this new world, um, because we we really don't have a lot of intelligence the distribution network. It's mm-hmm. it's, it's rather relatively simple intelligence. The future, we're going to have to have, uh, you know, a really uh, good brain that sits on top of all of that and make sure that we can integrate them all and do it in a way that uh, ensures that we're not driving incremental costs into the system mm-hmm. and that we're you know, that we're saving and and utilizing the system uh, uh, to, to to the best level. So so I think that's another area where there's lots of opportunity is the intelligent operation of that distribution network with all of those new devices uh, on there and how do we optimize that in a way that makes sense for everybody. Yeah, so how far are we away from from that smarter smart grid? For for us here at Amex, we're doing lots of small pilots, uh, which are starting to integrate, you know, this concept of smart grid. So, for instance, taking AMI meters, smart meters Mm -hmm. uh, in in communities and small pilots, integrating uh, rooftop solar batteries, EV charging, and putting that all together, and then putting a little bit of a brain on top of that. And mm-hmm. as well, importantly for customers, is is an app to allow them to see how all of this is interacting and how it's right. working. Some customers won't care; they, they they won't want to see any of that. Others will want to see it. Right. And really, it's it's we're it's through these pilots that we're setting up uh, the backbone for the future. And we're learning a lot about our own distribution networks, about investments we need to make, about how these things will interact. And ultimately, it's critical to see how consumers will use them. Mm-hmm. You know, it's great to put it into a, you know, a model and test it somewhere, but uh, the ultimate test is to actually have it in people's homes and see how they use it and, and what right. things they value and don't value. Um, so, so we've got lots of pilots uh, throughout our utility business now uh, looking to do that as well. What opportunities are there on the distribution network to start to introduce uh, batteries and other things to help to help manage all of that growth? Um, so it's pretty exciting times. I think you know the next five years will be critical mm-hmm. for us as we as we continue to make those investments, Francis, and learn from them, and then look to scale that out to to the entire uh, grid, move it from pilots to to really um, scaling it up for the entire distribution network. Yeah, you talked earlier about the very significant investments that are going to be required 
to be able to uh, to achieve some of our uh, some of our our net zero objectives. Um, do people appreciate? Do people understand? And do they appreciate what kind of changes are going to be coming down the pike, both in terms of well the, the costs uh, that uh, that are going to have to be borne to be able to to build out that that smarter system, but but also the changes in, in terms of how uh, people are going to be approaching and, and using energy. Any concerns about about public acceptance and understanding of of this space? As you said earlier, people usually don't think about the electricity business except that occasional time when the, when the lights go out. Yeah, yeah. I don't I don't think um, too many people think about it. To be honest, nor do they think about the costs. Uh, so I had a conversation recently with somebody who's uh, buying an electric car, mm-hmm. and um, the idea that. Uh, that they should need to be worried about whether or not they can charge their car at six o'clock or seven o'clock at night or two in the morning that that was not in their mind at all, nor should they worry about it. But Mm -hmm. one thing we do have to be concerned about is if a whole bunch of people buy electric cars and they plug them in and, and it doesn't work the way uh, they anticipate it, that will be a massive failure uh, on the electric utilities part, but also it will be, um, it will it, it will stymie electrification uh, more broadly. If yeah. if you buy a car and you can't uh, plug it in and have it charged in the times you want, uh, uh, that's going to be big big trouble. So we need to do a lot more as a, as an industry about educating uh, consumers, about educating politicians about not only the benefits of electrification, lower carbon. Mm-hmm. You know, there's lots of great things that will come. And I do think um, uh, also part of that is is talking about the costs, about some of the challenges there. But I also right. see there's a great opportunity to um, to make and keep electricity affordable by using the system better. If we see, for instance, there's lots of reports that say uh, electrification could double or triple the, the, the amount of electricity consumed. If we can do that in a way that doesn't uh, drive incremental costs unnecessarily into the system, that just lowers everybody's overall costs. We have higher right. utilization of our networks um, yeah. w- with the same kind of general fixed costs means a, a lower cost for everyone. So, so I, do, I do believe that uh, strongly there's a way to do this affordably, um, but there has to be a coordinated uh, uh, approach to it. And uh, right now that's kind of lacking. It's, uh, it's not there. So we have a lot, lot more we can do to elevate the conversation and to make it uh, make consumers and legislators uh, aware of uh, some of the things that are coming at us. Yeah, great. Hey, one of the things, uh, Wayne, that I ask folks that come on the podcast is about a book, um, either a book that, uh, that they're reading or, or a book that they've recently read that they would recommend to the uh, the listener, um, I, you know, I, I refer to it as the as the flux capacitor book club. So, um, <laughs> if I was to ask you what book would you add to our book club, what would that be? So, Francis, I, uh, I I've read a few lately, and uh, I feel compelled to uh, give you like a business book, right? Something that. Uh, as but you wish. I'm uh, I'm not going to do that. Uh, okay. I try and I, I try and have a couple books going at all times. One that's you know more business related, and one that's not business <laughs> related uh-huh. uh, to try and try and make sure that uh, I don't become uh, too narrowly focused. So uh, one I just finished uh, is the story of um, uh, William Shakespeare's uh, children. It's oh. a work of fiction. It's called uh, uh, Hamnet and Judith. 
or it might be Judith and Hamnet. I can't remember. Uh, it's it's a brilliant uh, brilliant read, uh, and during the summer, it's a real simple read. You could uh, read it in a week while you're on vacation. Uh, and it's 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 wonderful. It uh, I think the um, I can't remember the author's name. Uh, I believe she's Irish, but uh, it's a, just a compelling story of uh, and Shakespeare is really just a side passenger in this in this story. Uh, it's really about his children and uh, their lives. So I would highly recommend that one. Terrific! I will I will I will I will hunt that one down. Appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks yeah, for taking no, the no. time to, to jump on the podcast. I really appreciate you, you sharing your perspectives to, and continuing this conversation that we've been having through the podcast about what Net Zero 2050 is actually going to mean for people. Yeah, it's a it's a massive challenge and a massive opportunity, isn't it, Francis? Yeah, it's both. And, uh, yep, I really, I, I really believe it's going to take uh, the capital, the ingenuity. Uh, the inventiveness of uh, more than just our industry. Uh, it's going to take just about everybody in society uh, for us to get there, but I'm confident we can, we can do it. Fantastic. All hands on deck. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> All right. Thanks very much, Wayne. Appreciate it. Great, Francis. Good seeing you. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Flux Capacitor. Tune in for future podcasts in this series, which will include industry, government, and stakeholder guests further discussing the implications of and the pathways to the net zero future. Tanya Leach of Quest will join the conversation on the next podcast. And as always, let's continue the electricity conversation on our Facebook page, on Twitter, and at electricity.ca.